From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Undercurrent. Hello and welcome to The Undercurrent Season 10, Episode 8. This is our Thanksgiving special. Reporter Sophie Sagan and I are here to tell you two stories. Mine is about the colony in Jamestown. And Sophie's is about how Thanksgiving became a federal holiday. Hope you enjoy. get a story that really sums up the United States and captures the spirit of its beginnings, a story maybe more representative of our historical track record. I think it's better to go back a few years before the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims at Plymouth. We all know that story. It's okay. But I don't think it compares to the story of Jamestown. If I remember right, Jamestown was, like, the first, right? Like, they were one of the first, like, actual governed sort of colonies. Am I on the right track? Yeah, and I think that's important because it means that they were more important in laying, like, the foundations of the country because they started, I'm pretty sure they started the House of Burgesses in Virginia. I don't really know. Englishmen came to Virginia in 1607. So when they got there, the journey took a very long time. The first bad sign, I think it took 144 days. Um, A little over 100 men were on board the first voyage, and a lot of them were wealthy. Uh, It was supposed to be ruled by a council made up of the kind of people you would expect to rule a council appointed by the king. There were people from the East India Company. Uh, There were a lot of generals. There were explorers and, of course, John Smith. Mm-hmm. What do you know about John Smith? Pocahontas. Yeah. Is this the same? There's more than one John Smith, though, isn't there? But the, this is the This Pocahontas. is the Pocahontas one? Yeah. That's what I know about John Smith. One interesting tidbit that I found was on the way there, some men suspected John Smith of wanting to, quote, usurp the government, murder the council, and make himself king. Oh, my God. That's yeah. dramatic. What a drama queen. Pretty much right when they got to Virginia, they almost hung John Smith. But just one guy intervened on his behalf and was like, hold on. <laughs> Wait, what? So they just they get off the boat and they're like, yo, we don't like the looks of you, John Smith. You haven't you, actually said anything or done anything, but we think that it's time for you to go. You get off the ship. It's been a long journey. Um, you've been thinking the whole time that this John Smith guy is a shady fellow. <laughs> Tension's building, and once you finally get on shore, you you want to see him hanged immediately. That makes sense. I mean, not really, but, like, think about all those long car rides you've taken. Have you ever gotten out and you're just like, I'm going to kill the driver? You might have already known about this. I feel like this is uh, one, like, tidbit that they do teach you about Jamestown in elementary school. They founded it on a marsh. I don't remember this. Yeah, so they did it on the king's orders. 
Uh, it was mostly so they could be protected against the Spanish or something. It was like a military move. But the indigenous people were like, um, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, they were confused about how these Europeans were going to feed themselves and live. How do you think they fed themselves? I don't know, man. How? Yeah, because I guess you can't really farm well in muddy gross land yeah i don't okay i don't know john smith would um leave for a little bit and then he would come back with boatloads of corn okay so john smith just stole it john smith he's survived this long with a name that bland and not in a good way that sort of sounds like i was i was talking him up but he really just did a lot of bad things but then john smith left and the the relationship with Powhatan, the chief that they were talking to, sort of crumbled a little bit. Um, and this was the beginning of the starving time in November 1609. I am assuming that they starved during the starving time. You would Did... be right there. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were having a hard time building their houses to keep everybody sheltered. And then there was even less time for finding food, right? Yeah, and they also didn't really care about funding for themselves. That was one thing that I learned is they were really focused on turning a profit and also pretty lazy. So they didn't really try to farm. They didn't really try to hunt. They mostly tried to live off the supplies that were on their ship and from the stuff that John Smith could steal. What dumbasses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... What do you like to eat at Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving has gotten exponentially harder for me since I stopped eating meat a couple of years ago. But I still really, really like um, like stuffing. Not a big fan of pumpkin pie, but my brother makes a really good like ice cream pie every year, which is weird. But yeah, I'd say those are like my favorite foods. How do you feel about? Snakes, vipers, rats, mice, Not cats. good, not good. I don't even think you need to finish, but continue. Dogs, horses, maybe raptors. Um, nope. Human excrement. Don't love it. Oh, that part especially. Yeah. Best of all is that they had to resort to cannibalism. Ah. Uh... Here's something for you. There was a man who, this is from a primary source, he, quote, murdered his wife and ripped the child out of her womb (gasps) and threw it into the river and chopped the mother in pieces and salted her for his food. Can this go on the radio? (laughs) I think it can. I don't know. Um, So that... Oh, my God. That's probably the most famous story of cannibalism. You'll see that, like, recounted uh, on a lot of places, but... One thing that I only saw in one primary count was, um, it's the same one from earlier. It says, I judged him to be executed by torture, having hung by the thumbs with weights at his feet. So, yeah, they punished the cannibalism with some light torture and then the death penalty. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, I was a little excited for like the justice, but then it just got even worse. It wasn't, that wasn't satisfying to me. It was just another cringy moment. Well, imagine, I think you have to get into the mind of a colonist. Yeah. And why would you torture somebody before you kill them? I think the only reason is for fun. 
just kind of boring in the colonies. So like, there's one more thing to look at. Oh my god. Oh my god. Some of the colonists got shipwrecked on the way to Jamestown. Uh, there were seven men on the ship. Six of them died, except Andrew Hillard. He pushed five of the bodies overboard, but so he got. Oh, they were dead already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank God. He was, he was just pushing bodies was... okay. overboard. But yeah, there's one. There's one corpse left, and he is too weak to push it overboard. So he gets creative. He took out the intestines and threw them overboard. Propped the body open with a stick to let it collect rain. Oh no! <laughs> he also kept some of the guy's blood in a shoe and fed on his flesh Why for several days. Why not use the shoe to collect rain? Sophie, Sophie, Sophie! <laughs> it's <you're>, too logical. <laughs> you're hungry. You're tired. You're shipwrecked. You're you're looking for you. This is supposed to be a land of gold. <laughs> Another account. Um, it goes. They ate those hogs, dogs, and horses that were then in the colony together with rats, mice, snakes, and or what vermin or carrion soever we could light on as also toadstools, Jews' ears, or what else we found growing upon the ground. Also the flesh and excrements of man, as well of our nation as of an Indian. The colonists at Jamestown came to Virginia. They stole from the natives for a few years, and then they started to eat them. So the starving time was, in a sense, related to the colonists' relationship to Powhatan. He had halted trade with them, like I said earlier, and they had also attacked an English fort. And this was the beginning of the first Anglo-Powhatan War. The colonists, they were weak and cowering, uh, sort of hiding away, um, and really just starving to death. They suspected that they were going to be murdered by the natives, uh, but they weren't. One colonist said, quote, If it had not pleased God to have put a terror in the savages' hearts, we had all perished by these wild and cruel pagans, being in that weak estate as we were. So they thought God was protecting them. Uh, a few paragraphs later in that same account, he says, quote, It pleased God, after a while, to send these people, which were our mortal enemies, to relieve us with bread, corn, fish, and flesh in great plenty. Otherwise, we had all perished. Wow. Sounds nice, right? It, yeah, it does sound nice. That sounds like the thing, like the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. It does. That I remember. It sounds sort of beautiful. Um, but then you remember that about yep. a few years later. And it only gets worse. Once those from reinforcements there. came, you know, they, um, yeah, that's. So there's like one second of like peace. Provided entirely by one side. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think the only way to end this story is to say that before Jamestown collapsed in 1624, they had time to bring over the first Africans to cultivate tobacco. Oh, great. More great things. Yeah, they never forgot about making money. Even they, they had that great hardship with the starving time. They had to eat each other. They had to eat excrement and leaves and toadstools and you would think that would instill a kind of i don't know a sense of an understanding of vulnerability yes, maybe yes something like that <laughs> an understanding that i don't even know i don't even know yeah that was in 1619 they brought the first african slaves over two years before the first thanksgiving um, wait really yeah, I this, mean, 
they say the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. Mm -hmm. And so all this happened before Thanksgiving. And I think that's another reason why we should really look at it as the true start of the country. Huh. Yeah, we haven't really, we haven't been able to undo any of this. Ah! <laughs> that's it for me. So I wanted to talk about um, Sarah Josepha Hale, um, who's the godmother of Thanksgiving. How? Okay, so <laughs> this woman made it her life's work to keep Thanksgiving around forever. This celebration that we kind of, you know, we think of the first Thanksgiving and we think of the one in 1621 and the nice Charlie Brown's story of... I love Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown's great. And, like, they all sit down together and they break bread and it's, like, the, you know, the natives are teaching the pilgrims how to, you know, foster corn and all these really good things. And it's, like, a really nice story. And then it's kind of forgotten about for a while. It's not... So Thanksgiving for a long time was not widely recognized as the holiday that we have it. It wasn't like an annual thing. You mean in 1622, they weren't also reminiscing They weren't like, oh, their... yeah, remember last year when we had that great feast? Yeah, let's do that again, because obviously it's the second annual Thanksgiving Day tradition. Um, no, that was not what was going on. And honestly, I think it's important to par like point out that Thanksgiving was sort of, it was like a harvest time feast and festival, right? And like, that's not a totally new idea. Like, the natives had been doing something similar before the pilgrims came around, and the pilgrims had been doing similar things um, in the old country of celebrating harvests. Um, so this, the tradition of celebrating after harvesting your food is not totally new. We just had to, you know, add a layer of... Real darkness to it. Real dark. I was, yeah, I wanted to let you finish that because I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I would end up saying. Um, interesting. Right. So after, so we've got all of this really horrible, horrible stuff that goes down. And, you know, that's probably part of the reason that we don't have a second and third and fourth annual Thanksgiving Day. Um, but it is sort of a thing that keeps happening, but really sporadically throughout the regions in New England. And it's sort of like this thing that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't somewhere between September and December. Um, and after the American Revolution, a couple presidents sort of issued proclamations about days of Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving and prayer. George Washington was actually the first person to set that proclamation. And then so did um, John Adams. So did uh, James Madison. But then, interestingly enough, Thomas Jefferson didn't. So then it kind of goes back to this whole like there's no all of that to say there's no consistency in celebrating a Thanksgiving day. Um so yeah, for years, uh, you know, not consistent thing. Um, the presidential proclamations, from what I understand, kind of tapered off. They weren't really a part of the Thanksgiving. And also interesting, I'll add this before I add in uh, Sarah, but um, this was definitely more of a northern thing, too, because the southerners saw this sort of trying to force feed them this holiday. It was like a sense of like northern elitism. Okay, so it was like the... The government wants me to. Ce I'll celebrate Thanksgiving when when Obama comes and takes, 
me a turkey. <laughs> right. Something yeah. like that. There was yeah, yeah. definitely sort of an us versus them. And so like that also adds to why it was not this national federal holiday, which I'll get to later. So Sarah Josepha Hale um, was born in New Hampshire in 1788. Um, and she was actually a pretty well-educated woman for her time. Her mother was well-educated, too, and so they were both kind of anomalies. Um, she made it all the way through school. She didn't get to go to college, but she did read all of her brother's college textbooks. And so she was, like, a pretty smart lady. Um, she, And that was something she really, really championed about herself and something she championed for other women. Um so at 18, she becomes a school teacher. She's also the, an author and a poet. She's actually the person credited in writing Mary Had a Little Lamb. What? Yeah. Well. There's a little bit of debate, but most people agree, most historians agree that it was probably Sarah. I'd rather be remembered for that. Than right. Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so she's got that legacy too. Um, and so but going back to her being an author uh, and a poet, she also... She's got this quote that I kind of like, and it, she's in her autobiography talking about how much reading and writing meant to her. And she said, of all the books I saw, there were very few written by Americans and none by women, which I don't know, I think sounds really cool. And like this kind of makes her sound like an early feminist, right? Yeah, for sure. Wrong. She no. was <laughs> oh. an anti-suffragette. She did not think men and women should be working in the same uh in the same professions, she very much believed in the division of the sexes, but that's not to say that she still was not a champion for women's education and property rights for women, because she was a widow who needed those rights. So it's kind of a balancing act for her. I mean, she helped found Vassar, the women's uh, all-women's school. Okay. And so, although she wanted women to use their education in the home and to be good Christian mothers. There's just... There's so always got to be something, you know? Yeah. Like, I'll take it because I'm sure that while that was her intention, I'm sure a lot of women got really good educations and then were able to do their own I'm sure. legacies. Anyway, but back to Thanksgiving. <laughs> so one of her very first novels was called Northwood. I think that was published in 1827. And this was actually the first place that like a traditional Thanksgiving was described in writing. So is it Norman Rockwell that has that that really famous painting of like the grandma and the grandpa and they've got like the the turkey and they're putting it's it down? It's gotta be him. I mean, no one else makes those paintings. Okay, all right. I'm pretty sure it's Norman Rockwell. Anyway, that's basically what she described. Okay. She's got the turkey. She's got, you know, it's a point of pride for uh, men to sit at the head of the table with their massive family around them um, celebrating and being together and the thankfulness and the Christianity part yeah, of it was very right. Yeah. All of that stuff. She also talks about um very specifically pumpkin pie and custard and sweet meat and all of those like very traditional So we we've been living with just her taste palette as our menu for yeah. things that's that's I ridiculous. mean we can't give her credit for it. But yeah, if we go back and we read her whole her whole little thing on Thanksgiving it's very much translates immediately to Norman Rockwell, which I think translates into a lot of people's minds what they see their own family Thanksgivings as. And so in 1828, she becomes uh, the editor of the ladies' magazine in Boston, which ends up being um, Godey's ladies' book 
um, pretty soon after, and that's what it's more known as. Um, but this was actually the first woman's magazine edited for women by women. But this is where her crusade for Thanksgiving mostly takes place. It takes place in this magazine kind of subtly for a really long time um, until I'll jump forward to where she tries to get a hold of President Lincoln. Get a hold of him? Yeah. Just call him? Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so she she writes this letter. Um, so she's been kind of crusading for a long time for, uh, you know, this Christian holiday um, and that she was very adamant that it needed to be on the third Thursday of November. That's one of my least favorite parts of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't understand that. It was so, so important to her. She's very particular with she these was. foods and the, the third Thursday and yeah. sit at the head like of the a, table. A very type A personality. She thought also that this should be a very woman-dominated tradition. Because she loved like the home skills. Exactly. She was totally in favor of women being in control of the private sphere and being very in control of the in control of the domestic domestic life in its entirety. And so that was sort of her selling point too. So anyway, jumping to 1863, Sarah Josepha Hale sends a letter to Abraham Lincoln uh, that starts, Sir, permit me as editress of the lady's book to request a few minutes of your precious time while laying before you the subject of deep interest to myself and as I trust to even the president of our republic of some importance. This subject is to have the day of our annual Thanksgiving be made a national and fixed union festival. I think it's also important to point out that this is happening during the Civil War. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, priorities. So, yeah, <laughs> which also makes which makes her story kind of comical to me because it's like, lady, there is so much going on right now. She is just ready to just, you know, hit up the president because she's got shit on her mind. So she that letter is written September 28, 1863. Um, he gives a proclamation on October 3rd, 1963. She would have a great social media presence in 2018. Yeah. The energy it takes to do a letter writing campaign for over 30 years would just explode and thrive on the internet. Mm -hmm. So that was September 28th. He gives a presidential proclamation on October 3rd. I just imagine him standing up on like a boulder and talking <laughs> and the whole country can hear him somehow. Yep, yeah. So a presidential proclamation, too, I'll, I'll say real quick, that's basically an executive order. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so. So, so yeah, so he gives this proclamation um, in which he totally supports her, you know, fourth, I mean, third, Thursday of November plan for the whole, you know, union. Um, and then he gives another one a year later. Just to just to make sure just everybody heard it over the gunfire and the screaming. I think so. So he yeah, the following year in 1864. Uh, so Sarah and Sarah and, and President Lincoln are just telling the whole country, like, please. Do Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So he, I think the significance of this is that he sort of goes beyond um, the, the one, the sporadicness of the holiday, mm -hmm. but also the fact that it was sort of like governors had also sort of had a hand in it before. And so he goes above the governors and just says, 
this blanket statement. That's almost the end of Sarah's story. Almost the end? Almost. So she's not satisfied. She gets the president to say, to give his proclamation. A lot like what Washington and Adams were doing. But she wants it law. Okay. So she starts another campaign (laughs) that lasts until the end of her life. The first casualty in the war on Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Was, yeah, unfortunately the godmother of Thanksgiving. So she doesn't get it in her lifetime. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So what happens is President Lincoln starts this series of proclamations where every president after him holds up his proclamation of Thanksgiving being uh, what we think of it as. It's not actually until... So Sarah dies in 1879. At the age of 91... It kept her alive. You know it kept her going. Uh, until it didn't, and she died. I mean, but 91 <laughs> is impressive. 91's a great number. Um, but yeah, dies at 91 in 1879. And then, can you guess what year that uh, Thanksgiving becomes law? Because it does. Oh, no. I feel like I'm going to mess it up. Is it... Hmm. What... 1940-something. Damn! No, that's close. 1941. Yeah. Yeah. uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs the bill into law after it goes through Congress and all the right channels. Um, And so now, as of November 26th, he signs uh, Thanksgiving into national law, and it's not going anywhere. No, it is not. (laughs) It's, yeah. Have to go do that tomorrow. Yeah. That is a wild story. I like how, yeah, the only reason I guess 1940 is because I was like, when were when were we all sad and at war? Um, and I feel like we were the second saddest and at war. Yeah. yeah. The Great Depression is happening. Um, Did you also get the Slack notification just now? Yeah. All I saw was, I'm sorry, something, Taco Supreme. Okay, so... Jeremy just messaged us. I left a taco supreme in your office. I'm heading out and didn't eat it. If you want it, it's yours. Otherwise, just throw it in the trash. Merry Thanksgiving. Aw. Happy Thanksgiving, Jeremy. Happy Thanksgiving, Jeremy. I think that's a good way to end it. That's so yeah. funny. So okay. Sarah dies, and then 62 years later, FDR signs it into law, which was her final... Her final crusade. And that's that's my story about Sarah Josepha Hale and the Thanksgiving crusade. That was a much more beautiful story. That was it was a much more uh yeah, not as bloody. Yeah. Still, you know, questions to be raised. We still can yeah. be cautious about how we're looking at history, but that's it. That's it. But <laughs> you know there's a beautiful ending to that story because Sarah's granddaughter or grandson yeah. just had to be sobbing the day that FDR declared it yeah. like a real holiday. She had five kids. So, I mean, one of them, somebody out there, uh, some hail was out there just eating their turkey just, in satisfaction. That's beautiful. I'm going to go eat a Taco Supreme yeah. in satisfaction. So. Agreed. Cool. All right. All right.